Commander Hawksby pulled open the bottom drawer of his desk and took out two dice, although he was not a gambling man. Superintendent William Warwick and Inspector Ross Hogan remained standing as the hawk, like a Vegas croupier, shook the dice vigorously in his right hand before tossing them onto his desk and waiting for them to settle. Five and two, said William. The hawk raised an eyebrow as he waited for William and Ross to confirm the relevance of the two numbers. Five, sir, said William, means that when we leave the palace, we'll be taking the longer embankment route. And the two, Inspector, demanded Commander Hawksby, switching his attention to Ross. The password is Traitor's Gate. The hawk nodded before checking his watch. Better get moving, he said. Can't afford to keep the Lord Chamberlain waiting. He bent down and put the dice back in the bottom drawer of his desk for another year. William and Ross quickly left the office as the commander picked up his phone and dialed a number that wasn't in any phone book. It was answered after one ring. Five and two, he said. Five and two, repeated the voice on the other end of the line before the phone went dead. William and Ross marched along the corridor, past the lift, and jogged down two sets of stairs to the ground floor of Scotland Yard. They didn't stop moving until they'd reached the entrance, where they saw Constable Danny Ives seated behind the wheel of a dark grey Land Rover. Not their usual mode of transport, but appropriate for the occasion. Good morning, sir, said Danny, as William climbed into the back of the car. Morning, Danny, William replied, as Ross joined him. Superintendent Warwick and Constable Ives had joined the force a decade before, in the same intake as fledgling recruits, and it had taken the perpetual constable some time to stop calling his boss by his old nickname, Choir Boy, and call him Sir instead. It had taken considerably longer for him to mean it. Danny switched on the engine and eased the unfamiliar vehicle into first gear before moving off. He didn't need to be told where they were going. After all, it wasn't every day they visited Buckingham Palace. He never exceeded the speed limit, as they didn't want anyone to notice them, though on the journey back to the palace they would touch 60, sometimes 70 miles per hour in one of the busiest capitals on earth. Danny came to a halt at the top of Whitehall and glanced up at Britain's legendary naval hero perched on his column. When the lights turned green, he swung left, drove under Admiralty Arch and proceeded slowly along the Mall his destination now in sight. When they reached the imposing marble statue of Queen Victoria, every other vehicle turned right or left of the palace, while they headed for the entrance, where once again Danny came to a halt. An Irish guardsman stepped forward as the back window of the Land Rover purred down. He examined Superintendent Warwick's warrant card, placed a tick next to his name, and stood aside to allow the head of royalty protection to enter the grounds. Danny spotted a grey-armoured jaguar parked in the far corner of the courtyard and drew up behind it. Nothing changes, he thought, when he saw Phil Harris, the Lord Chamberlain's driver, standing to attention by the back door, waiting for his boss. Danny got out of the car and walked across to join his old mate. Morning, Phil. Good morning, Danny, Harris replied. Although the two men met only twice a year, they had become friends. Lord Chamberlain's might be replaced from time to time, but Phil Harris had served three holders of that high office during the past eleven years, and Danny had almost as much service under his belt. I presume you know which route we'll be taking? asked Danny. Number five, said Phil. And the password? 
Number two. Your commander had briefed my boss even before you'd left the yard. I've just spotted his lordship, whispered Danny, as the head of the royal household came striding across the courtyard towards them, like the old soldier he'd been. Harris opened the back door of the Jaguar, while Danny quickly returned to the Land Rover. The Lord Chamberlain, a courteous man who never paraded his rank, gave William a wave before slipping into the back of his car. The little convoy swept out of an unmarked side entrance onto the Mall and headed for Trafalgar Square. No outriders, no sirens, no blue lights. They didn't want to alert any curious onlookers, something they wouldn't be able to avoid on the journey back from the tower. Danny followed, and although he kept his distance, he would never allow another vehicle to slip in between him and the Lord Chamberlain's armoured car. William picked up the phone in his armrest and dialed a number he called only twice a year. Chief Yeoman Warder, announced a voice. We should be with you in about 15 minutes, said William. Everything's been prepared and is ready for you, responded the Chief Yeoman Warder. I can see no reason for any hold-ups, William commented before replacing the phone in the armrest. He would call again only if there was an emergency, and there hadn't been one in the past five years.